Christ's mission is our mission. There's a reason why our call to share Christ and his gospel is called the Great Commission. Not just another commission. It is the greatest task you will ever be assigned. Do you know that the tremendous blessing of helping somebody walk from darkness into light is an opportunity that we will never have again after we die? Never. There's no lost people in heaven. There's no need for evangelism. You have one chance to be a part of the work of Christ in saving someone's soul. And you're living in that chance right now. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. While you're turning there, I have a lot of announcements this morning. So buckle up and take notes, all right? There's a lot going on at Coastal. So first of all, our couple's dinner is coming up this Friday night at the Yorktown campus at 6.30. Cost is 40 bucks per couple and childcare is provided. If you're looking for a date night, this is an awesome opportunity. You can sign up at gocoastal.org slash events. Ladies, we have our women's brunch coming up this Saturday at the Gloucester campus. Somebody remind me, what time is it again? 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock. So ladies, be here at 10 o'clock for some great food and fellowship this Saturday, 10 o'clock. Small group season is upon us. Woo, that's right, that's right. That's worth clapping for. Small groups kick off next week. So please, please, please find a small group that you can join. I'd encourage everyone in this room to be a part of a small group during the fall season. You can find them at gocoastal.org slash small groups, or we have green booklets at the welcome desk. You can grab one on the way out. It will list all of our small groups and you can find one that works for your family and for your schedule. Our We Are Coastal class is coming up on Saturday, September 17th. That's gonna be here at the Gloucester campus from 5 to 8.30 p.m. Dinner and childcare are provided. This is our on-ramp to membership here at Coastal. So if you are interested in getting more information about Coastal or potentially joining the church as a member, I encourage you very strongly, please come to We Are Coastal. It's going to be a great time. I'd love to see all of you there. Please, please, please sign up if you are able. Go coastal.org slash membership or just write WAC on your connect card. That really helps us out in terms of ordering food and arranging childcare. I wanted to remind you that our student ministry is going to be moving from Thursday nights to Sunday nights starting next Sunday night. Uh, Sunday, so not tonight. Uh, next Sunday night, September 11th, our student ministry will be meeting from 5 to 6.30. So I want to see all of you guys there. Well, uh, from 6th to 12th grade, I'll clarify. Uh, I want to see you there. Um, I'm a student at heart. I get it. But uh, we're talking about student in age. So I'd love to see all of our middle and high school students next Sunday night, 5 to 6.30 p.m. I feel like I'm missing something. What am I missing? Oh, lost and found. Okay, we were doing some cleaning around the campus and over the years we've accumulated a lot of stuff. And so if you think, you know, where did that coffee cup go? Or my Bible or that shirt or that copy of the Princess Diaries on DVD, uh, whosoever that is. We've laid out all of our lost and found stuff on the bench right around the corner. So please just do a walk by, make sure none of it is yours. And here's what we're doing. We're giving you a couple of weeks and then it's a free for all, okay? So make sure you do a walk by and see if you have left anything here. All right, now 2 Corinthians chapter five. 
Uh, if you, I want everyone to be looking at the text this morning. We're going to be walking through these verses word by word. So make sure you grab a Bible and a chair around you if you don't have one. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home. If you want a nicer one, wait a couple of weeks and check the lost and found. But Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. Sorry. Um, this morning, we're wrapping up our brief sermon series called Ambassadors. And what we've been doing in this series is looking at a few passages from 2 Corinthians to talk about what it means to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And last week, we saw what our mission is as followers of Jesus. And this morning, we have come to this paragraph, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21, where we are going to see how our identity in Christ motivates us to be ambassadors for Christ. We're going to see that our identity in Christ motivates us to be ambassadors for Christ. And church, why I'm so excited for this passage is I am convinced that this is one of the clearest statements of the gospel in all of the Bible that we are going to study this morning. So my heart this morning is as simply as possible to share with you and to meditate on this passage in the gospel of Jesus Christ, just to celebrate and to be in awe together at what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. And I get it. If you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time, when you hear that, your brain goes, okay, I can kind of tune out on this one. You know, the whole gospel thing, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, prayed the prayer, checked the box. I'm good. I've got the gospel down pat. Our tendency is to think of the gospel as Christians as like the doorway into Christianity. Then once we get through that door, we move on to bigger and better things. But let me tell you, the gospel isn't just the doorway. The gospel is the whole house. Growth in the Christian life is not getting past the gospel. It is going deeper into the gospel and understanding its implications for every area of our lives. The apostle Paul in Romans, he's preaching, he's writing to a, a church of believers. And he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He says in first Corinthians, I would remind you brothers of the gospel in which you stand. Christians need the gospel as much as lost people because the gospel not just saves us, but the gospel transforms us as we understand it more and all of its implications for our lives. So this morning, I want to celebrate the gospel along with you as we slowly meditate through these verses together and see how it inspires us to be ambassadors for Christ. So let's look at our main point this morning. Because we are new, reconciled, and righteous in Christ, we are to bring the message of reconciliation to the world. So let's read the word of God together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord, I feel like with this passage, we've been ushered into the Holy of Holies. Lord, we're not worthy 
to study a passage like this that gets to the, the beating heart of the gospel, this wondrous exchange where Jesus, you have taken our sin upon yourself and you have clothed us in your righteousness. Lord, what an amazing reality it is. Oh Lord, give us strength to comprehend by your Holy Spirit the amazing realities in this text and that you would use them to transform us and to help us live out our calling as ambassadors for Christ in every dimension of our lives. God, we love you and we worship you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing we see in this text is that in Christ, we have new life. In Christ, we have new life. Let's look at verse 17 together. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, that little phrase shows me two very important things about the gospel. It shows me, first of all, that the gospel is incredibly inclusive. And then second, it shows me that the gospel is incredibly exclusive. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, the gospel is incredibly inclusive. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, this speaks to the universal offer of the gospel. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter your gender, your race, your income, your background, who you are, what you've done. If anyone is in Christ, that means the gospel is inclusive and that it is for anyone but the gospel is also exclusive. If anyone is in Christ, is in Christ. Because it's only through Christ that we get to God. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's the exclusivity of the gospel, that it is only through Jesus. It is only by being in Christ that we become a new creation. And now, about 45 seconds into this sermon or so, I'm already going to take a rabbit trail. So, man, you can see where this is going. Listen, what does it mean to be in Christ? We need to talk about that. What does it mean to be in Christ? You know, one scholar wrote that the apostle Paul uses that little phrase in Christ or something like it over 200 times in 13 letters. So obviously this is an important theme. What does it mean to be in Christ? Bear with me for a little bit of theology this morning. To be in Christ refers to the doctrine of union with Christ. And what does that mean? It's the biblical teaching that when you become a Christian, you become, in a spiritual sense, united to Jesus. And what does that union consist of? Well, you are still you, and Jesus is still Jesus, yet in another sense, your lives become joined together. Think about it like a marriage. When two people become married, we're still two different individuals, and yet in another very real sense, the Bible says the two become one flesh. Their lives are now forever joined together. We are now united. And the Bible says that that one flesh reality in marriage finds its fulfillment in Christ in the church. So here's the incredible implication of that church. Legally speaking, in union with Christ, what is true of you is now true of Jesus. And conversely, what is true of Jesus is now true of you. I'm going to unpack what I mean by that a little bit more when we get to verse 21. But let me illustrate it again using marriage. Let's say when Megan and I got married that, first of all, I was just loaded down with a massive amount of debt. Let's say that I had just, you know, rung up the credit cards and did all this stuff. And I just had this massive amount of debt that I could never repay. And let's say on the other side that when Megan and I got married, she was the successful founder and CEO of this huge company. And she was like a multi-billionaire or something. 
Uh, that wasn't the case, but let's just say for the sake of illustration, although not financially, I did hit the jackpot when I married my wife because uh, yeah, she is the best. Uh, never miss a chance, fellas. Anyway, um, now when we got married, so the day before we would have gotten married, I'm still in massive debt and she's still a billionaire. The moment we get married and our lives are joined together and we become one flesh, my debt now becomes her debt. And her wealth now becomes my wealth because we are one, because our lives are now forever united together. In the same way, church, when you become a Christian and when your life becomes united to Jesus, your debt of sin becomes his debt. And what did he do with that? He paid for it on the cross. And his righteous status that he earned through his life of obedience to the law of God now becomes your righteous status. That's the gospel that we exchange our sin for his righteousness. And I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about verse 21 in a minute, but that's what it means to be in Christ, that your life is now joined to his so that what is true of you is now true of him. And what is true of him is now true of you. And this little phrase in Christ permeates every aspect of our salvation. Just read through Paul's letters. It's all over the place from eternity to eternity. Our salvation only happens in Christ, never outside of Christ. Look at Ephesians 1.3. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. What's it say? In Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's only in Christ that we receive all of the benefits that Christ offers. And if you keep reading in that text, he takes us from eternity to eternity. He says in verse four, we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In Christ, we have redemption through, uh, through his death on the cross. In Christ, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we will one day be glorified. It is in Christ that we experience every blessing that Christ provides. And what is the blessing he lays out in verse 17? He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we are in Christ, we receive new life. We are born again. We are regenerated. We have new life. The Bible says we were dead in sin and now we are alive to God through Christ Jesus in the gospel. That's good news, isn't it? Because how many of us here can remember life before Christ? And in those moments, we can be loaded up with guilt and shame. And man, how could God ever forgive me for the things I've done? Anybody else ever been there? I know I have. But this text says, if you're in Christ, you're new. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. The you before Jesus is dead. And the new has come. Jesus gives new life. And let me tell you, only Jesus can give you new life. Only Jesus can make you new. Only Jesus can really transform you from the inside out. We can try to make ourselves new, but it ain't going to work. Want me to prove it to you? It's September 4th. How are those New Year's resolutions coming along, y'all? <laughs> every January 1st, new year, new me. I'm going to read through the Bible this year. I'm going to lose 20 pounds this year. I'm going to do all that. And then by February, the Bible's collecting dust and the treadmills for sale on Facebook Marketplace. No one can really change you from the inside out but Jesus. 
No one can give you new life but Jesus. No one can make you a new creation but Jesus. In Christ, we get new life, a new heart. God puts a new spirit within us. He gives us a new purpose in life to live as his ambassadors in the world. Jesus makes all things new and only Jesus can make all things new. But that's not the only blessing that Paul talks about in this passage. Next, he teaches us that in Christ, we are reconciled to God. We are reconciled to God. Let's look at verses 18 and 19 together. He said, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What does it mean to be reconciled? What is reconciliation? Well, well, it includes the idea of forgiveness, but it takes it a step farther than that. Forgiveness is when you release someone from a debt, when you choose not to hold an offense against someone. But reconciliation is about the restoration of relationship. It is about restoring a relationship of peace and fellowship where only hostility had been. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Let's say that a close friend of yours stole something that was incredibly valuable to you. Forgiveness would be choosing not to hold that offense against them. But reconciliation would be restoring the relationship to one of friendship from what it had been before. Because you see, if you stole something from me, I could say, I forgive you, but I don't want to be your friend anymore because I'm afraid you're going to take my stuff. Reconciliation is the restoration of the relationship. So why do we need to be reconciled to God? Why do we need to be reconciled to God? Church, because of our sin. The Bible teaches that all of us have sinned, that all of us have fallen short of God's glory, that following the fall into sin of Adam and Eve, all of the human race were born into this world guilty before God with a sin nature. The Bible teaches that God is infinitely holy and that God cannot tolerate sin in his presence. And all of us are sinners that stand guilty before a holy God. This is what Ephesians chapter two says about us outside of Christ. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's a pretty bleak picture, isn't it? We were dead in our sin. We were enslaved to Satan. We were hopelessly following the course of this world, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were children only destined for wrath. We had no hope of saving ourselves and no way to be reconciled to a holy God. That's why we needed reconciliation. And so what does Paul say then in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5? He said, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us, to himself. Church, God is the source of reconciliation. It says all this is from God. Here's what's amazing about that. God is the one who reaches out to us before we ever would reach out to him. And in this relationship, God is the offended party. Let's go back to my illustration about a friend who stole something. He should be the one to reach out to me to make things right. 
because I'm the offended party. He is the one who hurt me, so he should reach out to me, right? That's the way we typically think about it. But God, though he is the offended party, reaches out to us while we were his enemies to reconcile us to himself. When we were dead in our sin, when we're following the course of this world, when we're enslaved to the evil one, he is the one who reconciles us to himself. That's the amazing reality of the gospel. Look at Romans 5.10. It says, for if while we were enemies, do you understand that this morning? Let's pause there. If while we were enemies, do you, do you realize that outside of Christ, that's what we are? We don't think about it in those dramatic terms, but that's what the Bible says. Outside of Christ, we are God's enemies. It says, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In the gospel, God gives us reconciliation. Yes, he forgives us, but he does much better than that. God does not just forgive us. He reconciles us. He brings us into his family. He takes us from enemies to friends. He takes us from rebels to beloved children. We don't just get a redo in the gospel. We don't just get a blank slate. We are reconciled. It's not like a Nintendo game where you're not doing well, so you just hit reset. In Christ, we get the high score when we were losing. We are reconciled to God. And not only that, but this reconciliation gives us a purpose in life. It says in the second half of verse 18, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We're going to circle back to what that means here in the next point, but let's keep going in verse 19. Paul elaborates on this reconciliation in verse 19. He said, uh, let's back up to verse 18, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. We understand that God is the source of reconciliation and that God has reconciled us to himself because of our sin while we were enemies. But how did he do that? Verse 19 tells us by not counting their trespasses against them. This means church that in the gospel, God does not give us what we deserve. We don't get what we deserve. We get grace kind of how David puts it in Psalm 103. He said, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. David is worshiping. He is celebrating even before the cross. The God who doesn't deal with us according to what we deserve because of our sin, but he removes them as far as the East is from the West. I ain't any good at geography, but I think that's pretty far. He removes them completely and utterly, but church, that should cause an alarm bell to go off in our minds. How can God do that? How can God not count our trespasses against us? How can God be holy, be just, be righteous, and not deal with us according to our sins? Can I suggest to you that that is the great moral dilemma of the entire Bible? How can God be holy and yet forgive sin? 
I think we take God's forgiveness for granted because we don't think about it in those terms. I mean, let me illustrate it this way. Let's say there was a horrible criminal who had done terrible things and he had been found guilty and it's a nationally televised trial. And this guy is up there and the judge says, yes, you've been found guilty. Yes, you did these horrible things, but I'm gonna let you go. Don't worry about it. The penalty does not need to be paid. We would rightly rise up in moral outrage that this judge would let him go. How much more so that judge of the universe, the infinitely holy, eternal God, if he were not to punish sin, if he were not to deal with sin, do you understand church that in light of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of humanity, that God must punish sin? And so how can God not deal with us according to our sins? We often ask the question, how could a loving God let people go to hell? And could I suggest to you with fear and trembling that that's the wrong question? In light of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of humanity, we should be asking how on earth could a holy God let sinners into heaven? And when we ask that question, the gospel finally starts to make sense. Because how does God not deal with us according to our sins? Because he dealt with Jesus according to our sins. Because Jesus took our sin upon himself on the cross and paid the penalty for it in full. And the cross is the way that God can fully express his love and his grace and his mercy towards sinners without compromising one ounce of his justice. In the cross, we see both the love and the justice of God. You know, one of my coworkers, Christian Conway, recently used this illustration in a sermon, and I told him I'm going to steal it. Uh, it's about a Greek king named Zeleucus around 500 BC. And Zeleucus had a reputation for being a king. He, he was severe in his penalties, but he was always just. He was always fair. And one of his decrees was that adulterers needed to be punished by losing both of their eyes. And so one day, Zeleucus is in court, and he is a passing judgment, and another adulterer comes before him, expecting to receive the penalty that was due for his crime. But when Zeleucus looked, he saw that the adulterer standing before him was his son. And now Zeleucus faced a dilemma. The standards of justice and his own reputation as a righteous king were on the line. This penalty of two eyes needed to be paid. Yet his love for his son made him want to show mercy. So what did Zeleucus do in the story? The penalty of two eyes had to be paid. So his son lost one eye and he gave one of his own eyes. And this, in a very imperfect way, illustrates what God did for us in the gospel. Like Zeleucus, God will punish sin, but God is also merciful and desires to forgive his children. But unlike Zeleucus, God didn't just pay half. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. The cross is the ultimate display of both the justice of God, the God that is so holy that he must punish sin. Yet the love of God that he loved us so much that he himself stepped in to pay his own penalty to reconcile us to himself. This gospel has changed us and now it gives us a mission. We have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. 
We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And in light of that church, we are now Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. An ambassador is an official representative of a nation. So an ambassador is someone who's sent into a foreign land to represent the positions and the policies of the king or the government that has given them their authority. So when Paul says that we are ambassadors for Christ, here's what he's saying. Like ambassadors, we ourselves live in a foreign land, this fallen and broken world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Yet we are here in this world and we are here for the purpose of representing our king in this world, Jesus Christ. We are here to herald the message that our king has given us. And what is the message that we proclaim? Paul tells us here as God's ambassadors, it says God is making his appeal through us. I mean, just think about that for a minute. God is making his appeal through us. Do you think about evangelism that way? That God is speaking through you, heralding this message of reconciliation. That's what Paul says here. He says here in verse 20 in the ESV, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. But I really like the way the NASB puts it. Look with me at verse 20 in the NASB. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You know, last week we saw Paul is saying, we persuade, we urge, we convince others. And now he's saying, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We beg you. That almost sounds too undignified for this great apostle, doesn't it? That's what the text says. He says, we beg you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. Do you realize that when you share the gospel, when you engage in evangelism, he's showing us, first of all, it's God who's speaking through you, making this appeal. And he does it passionately. We beg you, be reconciled to God. Church, this is our calling. This is our identity. We are ambassadors for Christ. We represent him and we speak on his behalf in the world. We are ambassadors for Christ. That is, we bear his name everywhere we go. So church, let me ask you this morning, are you faithfully heralding the message that your king has left you here to herald, namely the gospel? Is your conduct at home, at work, in your neighborhood, and everywhere you go, an accurate reflection of Jesus because you bear his name? You're an ambassador for Jesus. And let me ask, are you representing him well? So after reminding us of our calling as ambassadors, Paul closes chapter five with a verse that I believe personally is the clearest single verse about the gospel of Jesus Christ in the whole Bible. I would love it if all of you would go home and memorize 2 Corinthians 5.21. And the next time someone asks you, hey, what's the gospel? You can just say, oh, well, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Maybe a little slower so they can hear you. That's the gospel. And I want to go through this word by word with you to show you that we are righteous in Christ. We are righteous in Christ. Let's go through this verse very carefully. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. First of all, for our sake, 
the gospel is for our sake, y'all. God didn't need the gospel. God wasn't lonely in heaven before the creation of the world. God existed in perfect love and fellowship in the three persons of the Trinity from all eternity. It was out of an overflow of God's love that he chose to create for his own good pleasure and to redeem. We are the ones who needed reconciliation for our sake. He, that is God, the father made him, that is God, the son, Jesus Christ. So the father made Jesus who knew no sin. He's very clear. Jesus was sinless. Jesus was perfect. Jesus lived on this earth for 33 years without ever sinning once. He was perfect. He was the lamb of God without spot or blemish. But next we come into a statement so strong that if it weren't in the Bible, I would be too timid to say it. It says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin. Let that sink in for a moment. The father made Jesus to be sin. What does that mean? Well, it does not mean that Jesus became morally sinful in and of himself. Remember, he's sinless. He knew no sin. It means that legally speaking, Jesus became the representative for his people. It means that Jesus bore the legal consequences for our sin on our behalf. It means that Jesus bore our sin and was punished for it. It says in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And it was the father. It was the will of the father that this would happen. Isaiah 53 says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The father made Jesus to bear our sin and take our punishment. And church, what was our punishment? What is the wages of sin? Death. Yes, physical death, but so much more than that. Also eternal death, the wrath of God poured out upon sin. That's what Jesus bore on the cross. That's what made him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was bearing the wrath of God on the cross. And let me make this way more personal for you and for me this morning. On that cross 2,000 years ago, God treated Jesus as if he were me. If you were in Christ, God treated Jesus as if he were you on that cross. He bore the penalty for every sin that his people committed and ever would commit. This is the beating heart of the gospel, the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. He made him to be sin for us. And why did he do it? The second half of the verse. So that in him, remember what we just talked about in Christ, right? So that in union with Christ, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. As we are united to Christ, he takes the responsibility for our sin. He bears our sin. And so therefore it has to be parallel with the second half of the verse. So to speak, we bear his righteousness so that we might become the righteousness of God. Just as Jesus did not become morally sinful in this exchange. So at least not at this point, we don't become morally righteous. That's sanctification. That comes later. This is justification where we're declared righteous before God. We take on Jesus's righteous status. 
We take on the righteousness of Jesus. Pastor Sean uses the metaphor often of a bank account. Our sin was credited to Jesus's account and he paid for it. And his righteousness is now credited to our account. And this is the best trade in human history. We trade Jesus the legal liability that our sin had incurred for his righteous record of obedience for his life of perfection is now credited to us. I love the way that John Calvin put it. Listen to this amazing quote. He said, we may dare assure ourselves that eternal life of which he is the heir is ours and that the kingdom of heaven into which he has already entered, let's just listen to this, can no more be cut off from us than from him. Again, that we cannot be condemned for our sins from whose guilt he has absolved us since he willed to take upon himself as if they were his own. This is the wonderful exchange, which out of his measureless benevolence, he has made with us that becoming son of man with us, he has made us sons of God with him. Guys, this is the wondrous exchange of the gospel. Jesus takes our filthy rags and he clothes us in his righteousness. We become righteous in Christ, not just forgiven, not just a blank slate, but declared righteous because of Jesus. And it's not based on anything that we've done. It's based solely on what Jesus has done. It is a gift to be received through faith. You know, there's an old NCIS episode uh, about a broken down elderly 85 year old World War II veteran. And he was wanted for a crime. And these two like big old police officers come to arrest him and take him in. And at the last moment, when he's getting ready to be taken in, his friend pulls back his tie. And it reveals that he's wearing a Congressional Medal of Honor. And in an instant, these two men going from, go from getting ready to arrest him, they snap to attention and salute him. Why? They saw the medal and what the medal represented. Church, the righteousness of God through Christ is like that medal of honor that is pinned on us. Though we are guilty, though we deserve to be taken in, so to speak, eternally for our crimes, Christ's righteousness is pinned on us like a medal. And you remember just a few minutes ago, I said, on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he were me. You ready for the other side of that? One day, when I stand in the judgment, when I stand before God in heaven one day, if you're in Christ, one day when you stand before God in judgment one day, God is gonna treat you as if you were Jesus. That's the great exchange. That we are righteous in Christ, not because of anything we've done, but only because of what he's done. We are now co-heirs with Christ. And one day we'll stand before God and he will say, this is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. So let me leave you with two final takeaways this morning in light of this. The first takeaway is this, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Paul says, God is making this appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you were here today and you are not a Christian, you don't have a relationship with Christ. I am begging you this morning. God is making this appeal through me right now as I speak. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Let me share with you in summary form as clearly as I know how the gospel of Jesus Christ and how to receive it. 
The gospel is the good news that sinners can be reconciled to a holy God through Jesus, that there is a holy and a righteous God who created humanity in his image for the purpose of bringing him glory. But rather than living for God's glory, we have lived only for ourselves. We have sinned against God. We have broken his law. And for that, we deserve God's punishment. And God is holy and he will punish sin. But he loved us so much that instead of giving us what we deserved, God himself in Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, wrapped himself in flesh, came into this world, lived a life of perfect obedience, earning that status of righteousness that we just talked about. Then he went to the cross, though he was sinless, and he bore the sins of all of his people on that cross, paying our debt. And he rose from the dead three days later, showing that he had defeated death once and for all. So now if we come to Christ, he has taken our sin and we receive his righteousness. We get new life. We are reconciled to God, brought into his family. We are declared righteous in Christ. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you've become a new creature in Christ. How do we receive that gospel? How do we receive the gospel? We give you three words. The first word is repent. We repent of our sins. We turn away from our sins. We say, Lord, I acknowledge and I confess to you that I am a sinner, that I have disobeyed your law. And for that, I deserve punishment. And as best as I know how, Lord, I'm turning away from living life my own way. I'm turning from my sin and I want to live for you from now on. That's repentance. The next word is believe. We believe the gospel. We believe that Jesus is God. We believe that Jesus died for our sins. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We confess that he is Lord. And then finally, we receive Jesus. It's not just about believing some facts about Jesus. It's about trusting in and receiving a living savior. It's about receiving Jesus as my personal Lord and savior, trusting that he can forgive me and he can give me eternal life. Church, that's the gospel. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I'm begging you this morning, be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Be reconciled to God. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come now. They're going to be up here during this last song. Uh, They're going to be up here after the service. I'll be here. And listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I love you enough this morning to be very clear and very blunt and tell you the truth. If you are not in Christ, Romans 5.10, we read it earlier, you are an enemy of God. You stand underneath the judgment of God. And God himself is pleading with you through me to be reconciled to God. God is reaching out to you even this morning. Be reconciled to God. Come and talk to one of these prayer team members. We'd love to share with you the gospel and to pray with you so that you can go from an enemy to a son, to a daughter, even this morning. So please be reconciled to God. Come and talk with us. Come and pray with us. Last takeaway. And with this, I'll invite the worship team to come and we'll close with singing. Let me exhort you this morning to be an ambassador. Be an ambassador. Because of our identity in Christ, we now have a mission to be ambassadors for Christ. When you bear the name Christian, you represent Jesus wherever you go. Imagine if you just had, for the rest of your life, you were forced to wear a t-shirt that just said in big old letters, Christian. Or, you know, it would change the way that we talk and the way that we act, wouldn't it? But the reality is we do bear the name of Christ. Now, I know some people who won't put the coastal bumper sticker on their car 
Because the way they drive, I already see, uh, not that anyone's pointing fingers or anything, you know, I see a couple of them, but listen, the title Christian is like a permanent bumper sticker over your life. You are an ambassador for Christ everywhere you go. And so let me give you two exhortations based on that. The first is live as an ambassador. This should motivate us toward holiness. This should motivate us toward holiness and the way that we speak and the way that we act and the way that we dress. We represent Jesus everywhere we go. Because of that, we should want to represent the name of Jesus well in the way that we live our lives. But next, speak as an ambassador. Herald the message of reconciliation that God has given us. We saw that God is making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God, that we beg people to be reconciled to God in Christ. That is our mission as ambassadors. That is why we are here. Let me challenge all of us this morning to take this calling seriously. Be praying for opportunities to share the gospel. Be looking for open doors and then be faithful to walk through them with your neighbors, with your family, with your friends, wherever you are. Be praying for opportunities to share the good news of the gospel. We are ambassadors for Christ. Let's proclaim this message with all of our hearts whenever we have opportunity. Amen. Amen. Well, church, let's close with prayer and then we'll go out singing this morning. Oh Lord, we stand in awe of you that in Christ, we are new creatures. That in Christ, we are reconciled to you. Lord, that in Christ, we have been declared righteous. What a privilege, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would use us to be your ambassadors, taking that message to a lost and a dying world. I pray, Lord, if there's someone here that does not know you, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict them now, that you would draw them to yourself now. I pray, Lord, that you would make your appeal. God, we love you. We thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself. And I pray that as we go, we would be your ambassadors everywhere we go. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and go out singing this morning.